Greetings, space lovers, and welcome to Cosmic Radio here on KZYX. My name is Elizabeth Garcia, your Northern California NASA ambassador and your captain on this auditory voyage to the cosmos. Since this is our first show, I'll tell you a little bit about myself and the goal of this show. I'm a biologist by trade and an amateur space enthusiast. You could say a space evangelist. My family has always been fascinated by space and aviation technology. My father worked on the Apollo mission capsule parachutes, and my mother worked on the engineering team that built the United States Air Force B-2 Spirit Stealth Bomber. My brother and I are both NASA ambassadors, and we participate in public outreach within our communities to inform people about what NASA is up to and talk about all the various missions that NASA, ESA, SpaceX, JAXA, and other space agencies are up to. I also go out to schools and community events in Mendocino and Sonoma County with my pop-up planetarium. My partner and I, whether it's my husband, one of my three children, or my newest partner, Malia, tell constellation stories and hand out NASA swag. These planetarium shows are free to educational institutions like schools or museums. You can find out how to book a planetarium show on my NASA website. These links and more will be on the KZYX website if you want more information. The goal of the show is to give you a quick synopsis on what the night sky will bring during the month, talk about either some local space attractions or space missions, and hopefully have an interesting interview with the movers and the shakers of space science. I don't profess to know it all, so if you have a topic you would like to have showcased on Cosmic Radio, send me an email and I'll try my best to research it and put it on the show. My aim is to make it easy for you to look up into the night sky and get you hooked on space science and appreciate our amazing universe. So without further ado, let's get into the show. In the first part of today's show, we'll find out what's up in the July sky and for the second part, we'll learn about a jewel in Mendocino County, the Ukiah Latitude Observatory, and speak with Martin Bradley, a historical expert on the observatory. So let's get started. Let's start with the constellations you can see all year round, providing there are clear skies. These constellations are called the circumpolar constellations. There are nine constellations that are situated around the North Pole, or Polaris. These constellations are called Auriga, the charioteer, Camelopardalis, the giraffe, Cassiopeia, the queen, Cephas, the king, Draco, the dragon, lynx, as in the feline, Perseus, the Greek hero, Ursa Major, known as the Big Dipper, and Ursa Minor, known as the Little Dipper. During the month of July, these constellations will be visible at around 10 o'clock. Although you can see these constellations, some are pretty faint and difficult to see, so let's talk about the five that are easy to find in the night sky. Cassiopeia the Queen. Looking north, find the Little Dipper. Cassiopeia is just below the Little Dipper and looks like a crown or a W in the sky. This figure actually represents the dais or the throne of the queen. Cassiopeia was the queen of Ethiopia and boasted that she was even more beautiful than the Nereids of the sea. After her death, she was placed in the sky for eternity, clinging to her throne as penance for her boastfulness. So don't get Poseidon mad. Find Draco by looking straight up to the zenith. 
Draco is a very long constellation, and the tail of the dragon wraps around the pot of the Little Dipper. In Greek mythology, Draco is the dragon Leiden that guarded the golden apple tree that belonged to Hera, queen of the Greek gods. Look for the constellation of Perseus right under the crown of Cassiopeia. It looks like a square with a triangle on top. Perseus was the famed Greek hero of the son of Zeus that beheaded the Gorgon Medusa. Perseus then uses the head of Medusa to save the Ethiopian princess Andromeda by showing Medusa's face to the sea monster Cetus and turning it into stone seconds before the sea monster eats the princess. It's a rom-com feel-good story with a happy ending. Ursa Major, the Big Dipper, or the Bear Constellation, is the easiest constellation to see in the night sky. It looks like a big pot, the cooking kind, in the sky. Ursa Major, in July, lies in the northwest sky. The double star system Alcor and Mizar can be seen in the handle part of the constellation with the naked eye. Two pointer stars of the pot, Miraz and Dubay, are essential to locate the northern star, or Polaris, in the Little Dipper. The story of Ursa Major says that Zeus, king of the Greek gods, had an affair with the nature nymph Callisto. Callisto was a follower of the goddess Artemis. Callisto gave birth to a son called Arcus. Upon finding out about the affair, Callisto was turned into a bear by Hera and cursed to live in the forest apart from her beloved son, Arcus. The Little Dipper is easy to find once you locate the Big Dipper. Find the pot of the Big Dipper. The right side of the pot has two stars, Miraz and Dubay. They're called pointer stars. In a straight line from those pointer stars going up, you'll find the most important star of the sky. Polaris, or the North Star. This star does not seem to move, and the celestial dome seems to revolve around the North Star. This star was historically used, and can still be used, to find the direction of North. All the stars of the Small Dipper are difficult to see unless you have very dark skies. Polaris is a star located at the tip of the Little Dipper's handle. Ursa Minor, or the Lesser Bear, is the constellation that represents Arcus, the son of Callisto, and of Zeus. After his mother turned her into a bear and punished her to roam the forests alone, Arcus grew up in a nearby village to become a great hunter. One day, he hunted in the forest where his mother roamed as a bear. Arcus was tracking a bear, and unbeknownst to him, he drew his arrow to shoot this bear. At the last second, Zeus had pity on the mother and son and turned Arcus into a young bear and threw them both, mother and son, into the sky where they would be reunited for eternity. These are the Greek constellation stories. Other cultures have stories that pertain to these constellations, which I'll tell you in future shows. Now, what's up in the night sky in July? July 3rd will be the night of the full moon. The full moon in July is known as the buck moon. This is because, as we've seen here in and around Mendocino, the male black-tailed deers, or bucks, have begun to regrow their antlers, and they're now in velvet during the month of July. On July 7th, 
the waning gibbous moon at 78% illumination will help you locate the beautiful planet of Saturn. Looking at the moon, Saturn will be up and to the left or 10 o'clock to the moon's face. Saturn appears yellowish in color with no twinkle. With a telescope or some high-powered binoculars, you may be able to observe Phoebe, one of Saturn's 124 moons. Phoebe will be under and to the right of Saturn. The gas giant Saturn is a sixth planet from the Sun and the second largest in our solar system, with seven rings and several gaps between those rings, most notably the Cassini Gap. From July 14th to the middle of August begins the best meteor shower of the year, the Perseid Meteor Shower. Meteor showers are named after the constellation from which the meteors appear to emanate. This is called the radiant. So the Perseid Meteor Shower's radiant is, uh, you guessed it, the constellation of Perseus. Search for the constellation of Perseus in the north sky. Grab a warm drink, a blanket, and the family. Look up to the sky. Best viewing time is late night between the hours of 10 and 2. Shoot, you can even have a star party and barbecue all night. I'll leave the festivities up to you, but any excuse to have a star party sounds like a great idea to me. On July 21st, there will be a spectacular view of Venus, Mercury, Mars, and the star Regulus. To see Mercury, start right at dusk. Look west and at the horizon. Because Mercury is the closest planet to the sun, it's only observable at the horizon, either at sunrise or at dusk. Mercury appears whitish in color. High above Mercury will be Venus. Super easy to spot because Venus is the brightest celestial object in the night sky after our moon. The star Regulus is just to the right of Venus and is in the constellation of Leo. I always like to find Leo by looking to the western sky and looking for the backwards question mark. The moon will be at about 2 o'clock to Regulus and will be in a waxing crescent phase with only a 12% illumination. It's a great stargazing night. And the last of the celestial quintuple is Mars, the red planet. Mars will be just to the left of the moon. Lastly, here's an explosive news story as of last month. Thank you, Dolly, for writing to me and wanting to know more about this celestial event. Perhaps you've heard of supernovas. A supernova is the violent and catastrophic death of a large star. Well, guess what, folks? An amateur astronomer, Kyochi Atagaki of Japan, just discovered a supernova in the Pinwheel Galaxy on May 19th of this year. According to NASA, the supernova, now formally called SN2023 IXF, is the closest such explosion in about 10 years. This supernova is about 21 million light years away from Earth, which means that the actual supernova didn't occur last month, but occurred last month 21 million years ago. The visible light just made it to Earth last month. We're seeing the past right in front of our eyes. That's pretty cool. Thanks, Kyochi. So, where can you see this impressive and spectacular event? I'm glad you asked. My good friends at the Robert Ferguson Observatory outside of Santa Rosa can train their 20-inch Ricci Cratine CCD telescope on the Pinwheel Galaxy and show you this amazing supernova. 
This place is so well run, it will be the subject of next month's show in more detail. I bring it up right now because in only one month, this supernova has become much dimmer than last month, but Ferguson's motor-driven telescope can see it in amazing color. They project the image on a large screen so even the little ones can witness the beauty of the cosmos without having to look through an eyepiece. They also have a 40-inch reflector, an 8-inch refractor, and a series of space lectures that are fascinating. This observatory is run by an amazing group of over 200 volunteers. You can camp there too. This is all located at the Sugarloaf Ridge State Park in Kenwood, California, and just 15 minutes outside of Santa Rosa. I'll put a link for the observatory on the KZYX website for more information. Of course, if you want to learn more about the Ferguson Observatory, listen to an interview with the astronomers and staff on next month's show. So that's what's up in the July night sky. But what's up here in Mendocino County? Well, a truly remarkable and historical landmark, the Ukiah Latitude Observatory. Many of you know that Observatory Avenue is located in South Ukiah, off State Street. The street is named for the observatory, located at 432 Observatory Avenue. The history of this observatory is remarkable, and after listening to its story, you may be excited to visit it and its surrounding gardens. Our guest on today's show is Martin Bradley. Martin, welcome to Cosmic Radio, and thanks for taking the time to introduce us to the Ukiah Latitude Observatory. Thanks, Elizabeth. It is good to be here. Excellent. I know you're now a retired lead docent from the observatory, so you're the perfect person to give us a history of this amazing and historical gem right here in Mendocino County. So what is the Latitude Observatory, the park and its grounds? What's it all about here in Ukiah? Yeah, uh, going back to like 1750, there was a, and that's where it really begins. There was a Swiss, Swiss mathematician, and his name was Euler, very famous in mathematical, Leonard Euler. And he had, uh, he had a theory that objects, how spheres should spin, they should spin evenly. But then when he was looking at the Earth, he said, wait a minute, the Earth is not smooth. It's got bumps. It has water. It probably does not spin evenly. And so he uh, put some math together, and he came up and said, nope, this is the way it is. It is spinning. It is off by, it's beginning to wobble about 14 degrees, and that's showing up. And so from there, there was, 100 years later, there were astronomers who were taking measurements of the stars, and they were finding the stars were not in the same place when they looked at them. They're carefully measuring where they are, you know, like, altitude and uh, right ascension, all the ways they major locations in the stars for star charts. And it was off, and that was not okay. So from there, what they did is they uh, began taking measurements, uh, different astronomers, and when they found out that this is something that had to be fixed and it was measurable, they came up with a plan. You want me to continue? Gets into the weeds a little bit. <laughs> well, Sure, um, let me go a little bit further. Let sure. me just take a little bit further. So what they did... If they established, uh, they said, we need to set up observatories around the globe so that they are each recording, taking sightings and measurements of the same stars every night. And from that, we can calculate exactly how far off the wobble is in a year or in a day. And so they did that. Hmm. 
So they needed to know the exact amount of wobble or precession of the Earth. But why here in Ukiah, and for that matter, how did they choose the locations of the five latitude observatories around the world? Yeah, they wanted them to be all at the same latitude, because uh, that would you know, cut down on the errors if they were all at the same place along the same line. And they wanted them to be separated, equal distance. And so they knew the best way to get the best sight of the stars would be about halfway between the, the equator and the North Pole. So they eventually looked at cities, they looked at maps, and they figured, okay, we'll do it at 39 degrees or 40 degrees. And then they found some cities that line up with that. And one of them was Ukiah at 39 degrees, eight minutes. And then the others were in Gaithersburg, Maryland, and in Italy. There's one off the coast on the island of Sardinia. There is one in Russia, or what is now Uzbekistan, and one in Japan all at 39 degrees, 8 minutes. Interesting. So the Earth being an imperfect sphere, more of an oblique sphere, there's um, a variable that produces this wobble. Are there other variables that contribute to this uh, polar axis precession? Yeah. As they uh, reduced the data, they said, okay, we got it down to the what the period is and all, and they thought, okay, the Earth is not solid. And they didn't know then that the, that the Earth had a molten core. But they saw that, okay, there's ridges, there's mountains, there's oceans, there's tides. The Earth, Earth turns, there's friction in the ocean to slow it down. Uh, so even though they couldn't find exactly one thing, they did add all these things together and found out, yeah, it's predictable and this is what it is. Pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, the all the math that they needed to do in those days and got it down to a perfect latitude. That's amazing. Well, it, it wasn't just with the math on that. The other thing was building the observatories. They made them all the same size and shape. Like the one in Ukiah is, you know, it's about 13 by 13. They made it, and I am in awe of the fact that they could mill wood. I know it was 1899, but they could mill wood it looks great, like a traditional old colonial house. They did that around the world using whatever materials were available, and in Japan they made it out of steel. Uh, sorry, yeah, but I still, yeah, but still, <laughs> all the all the observatories were standardized, so they all looked the same. They there was no variables in the observatory themselves, so that's interesting. No, and they also uh, they made the telescopes to be the same. There is. Uh, they actually had planned for there to be four observatories, then it ended up being six. The four of them have uh, larger telescopes, and the telescopes are awesome. And we have, we even have it here in Ukiah. That's amazing. So um, they gathered all this data and calculated precession. I understand what they were doing, but why were they doing it? At the time, uh, besides just knowing, uh, making accurate star charts, because it's really important to astronomers, uh, they also needed to be able to, to do timings. This was like setting up a standard for coordinating time, and to some extent, even in navigation, because they didn't know exactly what the wobble was. It turns out it wasn't significant enough to affect uh, navigation on ships, but you know, now in the 20th century, 21st century, uh, as we're 
exploring the planets, we need to be very precise in the measurements. So the why was, uh, you know, for astronomers know exactly where the stars were so they could do their measurements and experiments. And then on Earth, we needed to know exactly what any variation might be from doing, making landmarks uh, to developing the GPS program. Uh, all these things came into play, and that's, that was the why of it. Wow, so that was important information in the 1900s, but even more important today for today's navigation. And to think it all began here in Ukiah. So, it did. I mean, it was one of five places, but yeah. <laughs> part of it was from here, so let's own it, right? Um, yeah. So you talked about the telescope. Is that original telescope? That must be yeah. like over 120 years. Is that still here, and does it still work? Yeah, we. Uh, it was removed in 1982 when the observatory closed. Uh, but then we were able, with the well, the city of Ukiah was able to apply to have it returned here, uh, along with this incredible pendulum clock that they used to make to keep the time and the measurements. Uh, and it is old. I mean, they. Those are. For the precision that they have, it is one of the older telescopes of its type. And that's great. So observations have ceased here in Ukiah. I'm not sure when. Um, you could probably tell us that. But is there still some ongoing science here at Observatory yeah, they, Park? When they closed the observatory, it was because they had more advanced technology now uh, with radar and radio, uh, radio telescopes, radio astronomy. So they didn't need to make the visual observations. But the observatory itself, uh, the city is required to preserve it and the historical monuments there. And actually, it's being used as a site for further scientific study. Mendocino College, uh, the astronomy physics department with Dr. Tim Beck is, has cameras set up there uh, to observe the sky all night long and to measure meteors. So what are they looking at for these meteors? Yeah, they want to see, uh, you know, they want to be able to track them, uh, where they're coming from, and hopefully, if they can find some that hit the Earth, uh, be able to determine what they're made of and better understand the building blocks of, of the universe. Uh, I know that's kind of a stretch, but really, that's what goes on. For sure. Um, so they're looking for NEOs or near-Earth objects. Um, where are they sending mm -hmm. the, collect the collection of data? Yeah, it's going down to... Uh, down around Palo Alto, where uh, SETI is set up. Uh, what's the, that's SETI. Yeah, search for yeah, search for Extraterrestrial Terrestrial Intelligence Institute. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So this is important. I mean, they're doing that, and I, for all the reasons I mentioned, and of course under uh, the SETI umbrella. They have a lot of lofty goals they're trying to find, including that, you know, extraterrestrial intelligence. Excellent. So I guess we have another person we have to have on the show, Dr. Tim Beck. I'll be calling you to see if I could set up an interview. Um, so how can we find out, how can, you know, Ukiah or Mendocino County's public find out about more about the observatory? Can teachers and can the public visit this observatory? Yeah, the best thing to do is uh, to contact the city of Ukiah. There's, it's, it's usually a special event every six months uh, when the observatory is open. You take tours, uh, you know, have the 
have some amateur astronomers there. But for teachers, the best thing to do is to contact the city of Ukiah to arrange for a time to visit. There is the interpretive center there. Uh, there's a lot to see at the park for kids, for young scientists. Are there any events going on at the park? Right now, there's there will be something scheduled in September. They call it the Bounce to the Stars. Uh, they have it's a family event. They have bounce houses for the kids and lining up uh, the amateur astronomers and other scientific-based uh, interesting exhibits. Can't say for sure. That's still in the works. Excellent. Well, that's an amazing story, Martin. Thank you so much for speaking with us about the Ukiah Lab Latitude Observatory. And of course, I'll add links to the City of Ukiah Latitude Observatory on our website if you want to find out more about it. Martin, thanks for coming in. I look forward to seeing you at the observatory events. Yeah, thanks for having me, Elizabeth. Thank you. Well, that's all for our first Cosmic Radio show on KZYX. I will add all the links to the observatories and the contact information to the KZYX website. Join us again next month for an all-new show when we will discuss and interview staff from the Robert Ferguson Observatory right outside of Santa Rosa. If you missed some of the show or want others to hear it, you can find it on the archived recording at Jutebox on our website. I appreciate your interest in the stars and our local universe and beyond. I'm Elizabeth Garcia, NASA Ambassador on Cosmic Radio at Astra. Astra.